Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. Put an alarm on your cell phone. It could be once a day, twice a day, three times a day, as many times as you'd like. And when that alarm rings, pause. Check in with yourself. How am I feeling right now? And oftentimes when I do this, I'm just like, oh my God, I feel so rushed. I feel like I need to, yeah, <laughs> I need to rush I through this feel- right now. Like, oh my God, like my nervous system is like on a high. And like, it really makes you become more aware of like, how your nervous system is doing, and maybe what are the needs you need. Hello, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. We are here today on the podcast, and I have a very special guest. We have Sterna Suisa. She's a parenting coach and a mom of four, and she lives in Montreal, Canada. So excited that you're here today. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. And thank you for having me, Dr. Kim. It's a pleasure being here with you. Yes, thank you so much. Well, today we're going to be talking about a few different things. Today we're going to be talking about how to raise emotionally intelligent children and how to break toxic chains on multi-generational patterns, um, which I know you talk a lot about. I know that's something that I've talked a lot about. So we're just going to dig in a little bit deeper about what those things look like and what we can do as parents to help break those chains so we can have really good emotional connections with our own kids. And then they can hopefully you know, do the same as they grow and have their own children. So let's start first. And I just want to ask how you usually define emotional intelligence. Uh, How do you define that when it comes to to children and how we can raise emotionally intelligent kids? So having emotional intelligence, um, I would say would be that a child has the ability to put words to their emotional experiences. So being able to say, you know, I was feeling frustrated. I was feeling jealous. I feel a lot of hatred right now, or I feel a part of me feels angry. Um, And to also be able to understand that we can hold many emotions at once, right? Just because I'm upset about something, I can also be grateful for something at the same time. So multiple emotions can coexist at the same time, being capable of labeling those emotions and saying what's going on in our body. And also being emotionally intelligent would be knowing that right now, while we're experiencing that emotion or several emotions, they're going to pass through our body and we're going to also be okay. We can move through these emotions and come out of them okay. And to understand that emotions are there as our guides. What are these emotions telling me right now? Do I need to set more personal boundaries? Is something, does something need to be shared with this person because of the way I'm feeling? To try to better understand ourselves through those emotional experiences as well. And so moving along them in that way. 
Yes, I love that. And and I 100% agree with you. And it's something that I've talked a lot about uh, as well. And especially working with the little ones like I do, um, teaching them to label emotions and verbalize those emotions at a very early age. Uh, even if we're just acting them out, I do a lot of role playing, you know, in, in, therapy. Yeah. so role playing, like, you know, show me what it looks like on your face to have an angry face. And then they'll make a, you know, a little angry face or show me what it looks like to be sad. And, you know, and then being able, like you said, to, to not only identify the actual emotion itself in, in, in a word, but also in the behavior, you know, sh- having them show you what it looks like to, to have that emotion and then even pairing it to, sometime when they experience that? Is that something that you've even done with your own kids? You know, if you said, tell me a time when you've been sad, so they, they understand what does that mean um, to be sad or what that means to be angry. And I love how you added that they're going to be okay. I think that's something very important that parents should not only allow their children to have those emotions, even if they're really big emotions that might scare or give the parents anxiety, but then also to let the child know and validate them that it's okay to have those. So I love that you added that too. Thank you. Thank you. And also, if you want me to add even more to that, it would be things that came to me while you were talking is when a child is experiencing emotions, whatever they may be, to know that there's never anything wrong with the way they're feeling. And it's just the behaviors associated to it that we need to get better at expressing, right? So if a child is angry, there's nothing wrong with feeling angry. It's how we're expressing that anger that we all as human beings need to work on and express it in a healthier way for everybody around us, right? And having that separation and knowing that, that my emotions are okay. And now let's look at my reactions and to not, and to be able to distinguish and say, the way I reacted is my responsibility and no one is responsible or to be blamed for the way that I'm acting because of how I'm feeling right now. So no matter how someone is going to treat me, I'm responsible for my reactions to that. You know, even though it could be hurtful and it could make me feel all sorts of feelings, that's on me, you know? So an emotionally intelligent child is raised in such a way. And oftentimes in order to raise an emotionally intelligent child, we need to learn how to be an emotionally intelligent parent right? So that they can learn through our modeling. Absolutely. I'm smiling uh, because uh, I know see people who are just listening to the audio won't see that, but I'm smiling right now and nodding my head because it's so true. I talk about modeling all the time as parents. And that was going to be my next question for you to dive into is how do we as parents teach our children this emotional intelligence and I was hoping you'd go in the direction of having the parents do it first, because if we're dysregulated and we're not expressing our emotions in a very healthy way, and it's a very maladaptive way, you know, for angry punching holes in the wall or, you know, whatever the case is, then our children are going to watch that and learn from it and think that's how they're supposed to do it too, because that's going to be all they see and all they know. So what practical takeaways and tips do you have for parents to be able to do that themselves? What, what work do they have to put in to be emotionally intelligent in order to then transfer it onto their children? I think the number one thing we need as parents is self-awareness. And it's very hard to gain that self-awareness like on the heated moments. And we all have those moments, we're human, and we all have these moments where we feel the blood rushing through our body, we're feeling frustrated. It's like we feel kind of like our heart beating and we feel that we're about to, you know, approach our child in a ways that we know we're going to regret later and we wish we didn't. So 
it's very hard to wait for those moments and say, hold on, like, how do I not have those type of moments? So I say the first key is to gain self-awareness throughout our entire day, not just wait till we have those moments, right? So keep checking in with ourselves. And something very practical that we can do like right now, any day is put an alarm on your cell phone. It could be once a day, twice a day, three times a day, as many times as you'd like. And when that alarm rings, pause. Check in with yourself. How am I feeling right now? And oftentimes when I do this, I'm just like, oh my God, I feel so rushed. I feel like I need to, yeah, <laughs> I need to rush through this right now. Like, oh my God, like my nervous system is like on a high. And like, it really makes you become more aware of like how your nervous system is doing and maybe wow. what are the needs you need. And if you really want to start this and like gain a lot of awareness, you can do the alarms at the most hectic times of your day. So dinner time, your phone is going to ring. You're going to be like, okay check in, right? So not, oh, I need to stop myself when I'm heated. Like just to check in and ask yourself like, whew, okay, that alarm just ran off. Oh my God, how am I feeling? I'm like starving right now. You know, I'm hungry. You know what? I'm going to grab something to eat, right? Like this is what I need. And I'm gaining self-awareness on my needs versus letting them just pile up, go, go, go. And then exploding on your child, which is what happens because we aren't okay in our own body. So the more we have those alarms on our phone, and this is just one example of many that we can do different things, but the more we have these alarms and every day they're going to ring, we're going to check in with ourselves, And all we need to do is take a deep breath. And this already gives our body the practice of how it feels before the deep breath and after the deep breath, right? So the alarm goes on. I'm going to take a deep breath. What's going on in my body right now? What do I need? Oh, maybe I need a couple more deep breaths. You know, I feel my system is, is very heightened right now. So you're going to take some deep breaths and that's all we need to do to just notice how does it feel after these deep breaths so that when you're in these heated moments, your body already has practiced taking the deep breaths because it's very hard to just be on that moment and like take a deep breath and wait for those moments to gain that practice. So when we do it throughout our day, then we remember that it's right there. Our breath is right there. We can turn back to that breath at any moment but we need that practice and we, we can practice logically with our brain that's on and we're not <laughs> flooded by emotions when we're th going through our day so that on those moments, eventually with a lot of practice, we can have that more gained, you know, gain self-awareness and be like, wow, like I really need a moment. Like I'm going to go to the bathroom and put some water on my face or I'm going to go drink a cup of water. or I'm feeling hungry, you know, and, wow. and kind of working on ourselves in that way. Gosh, that's amazing. And it's so practical. And it's something that yeah. we can tangibly do right now in the moment. And something that, you know, if we don't set that timer, then we probably will just kind of put it by the wayside and, and not do those check-ins, even if we say we have good intentions to do so. But having that, you know, is, is an accountability piece for ourselves and our own mental wellness and well-being, that's that's what's really going to help us, like you said, have that that check-in, that self-awareness, and then to act on it, you know, to 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 pay attention, then to actually do something about it, I think is is you know really vital. So and that's something we can teach kids to do too. And when the alarm goes off, we can check in with ourselves. And if our kids are home with us, we can also check in with them and say, you know, how are you doing today? What's going on? And Sometimes I'll do a check-in with my kids and they either just give me a thumbs up or a sideways thumb or a thumbs down or on a scale of one to 10, you know, those work really well too. 
Um, but I, I love the check-in, especially for adults. I think the alarm on the phone is just a phenomenal intervention that every parent should be doing out there. So hopefully everyone's listening to this right now and literally on their phone at the moment, like putting their alarms on. As soon as we're done recording, I'm going to do the same. So um, but let's dive in a little bit into uh, how parents can create a healthy relationship with their child. Speaking of that parent-child attachment, parent-child connection, I think having those daily check-ins together as a family, I think parents should do it on their own. But then I also think there should be that time where they connect with their child and, and keep a pulse on how they're doing emotionally and mentally. Um, but in your opinion, in your work, um, how do parents create a healthy relationship with their child? What steps do they need to take? It's a really interesting question, Dr. Kim, because huh, what I've noticed through my journey is that the most important relationship we have, yes, it's with our child, but there's even something more underneath that. And it's the relationship we have with our own self. You know, yes. if we have, you know, if we're good in our own self, we are, you know, when we do those check-ins, we're going to know how we're holding. We're going to see, right? We're going to be like, hey, like, I, 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 it's insane. I'm putting an alarm every day. And every single day of my life, I feel rushed. I feel anxious. I feel worried. I feel like, what's going on here? I might need to set more boundaries and protect the relationship I have with my own self. Absolutely. So the, these things might take place and you might realize, like, you need to be protecting your own self and really building that relationship with our own self so that we can show up for our child our own best self. And then that way the relationship is healthy, right? So let's say a, a small example. I'm going to give you an example in regards to myself, right? So let's say I grew up, I was not allowed to say no, right? I couldn't say no to my parent because that would mean that I would be yelled at, punished, and all sorts of things. Right. So here I am as a parent. Now, I'm not saying no to things in my life, right? So the relationship I have with myself is very disconnected because I'm not honoring myself. I'm not showing up for myself in the way that I need to be. Um, and here my child is telling me no. And so suddenly, because I don't have that in my life, I will try to shut that down in my child as well, because how dare you say no, right? I don't say no. I don't get to say no. And I'm living a unhealthy relationship with my own body. I don't get to protect and have my own personal boundaries. And so I then do the same for my child versus understanding that, hey, sometimes it's actually a healthy thing to say no. And it's important to say no because we want to honor the relationship with our own self and how we feel. And so if a parent feels that way, then when their child says no, then they might get curious and they might have a conversation about it and you will just approach it in a different way. Because you understand it. You're doing that for yourself too. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I think it, it, it starts with the parent. Like we've talked about before we can help our child, we have to help ourselves. You know, we're on an airplane and they say, you know, put the oxygen mask on your, on your face first before putting your child. When I was growing up, I never understood that. I thought, why, why would they have to do it first? Because I'm, I'm important. I'm, I'm, I'm the child, <laughs> right? Because you're in that egocentric, you know, zone. Yes. And, but now as I've grown up, I've realized that, you know, the parents need to, to do the work first. And once they're able to do it, then, like I said, they can, they can help their child. Um, and it's the same type of analogy, but, but, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's helpful, um, you know, to do that. So I definitely think 
working on ourselves first, whatever capacity that looks like for each person um, does need to happen first. Um, and even if, and I know you, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but even if there's some unmet emotional needs that are unresolved in our lives, that we need to try and work on those first before we, we transfer that anxiety or, you know, our, our trauma onto our kids too. So, uh, so my next question for you is, uh, on your website, you mentioned how a parent should start with compassion and confidence to build a powerful relationship with their children. Tell me more what this looks like. How, how for someone who may not understand or know, well, what does compassion look like? I feel like we all think we know what it is, but then how does it actually look like when we're actually in that parent-child relationship? Yeah, so compassion looks like I understand that my child is always doing their best. And I truly understand that because I'm also doing my best as a parent, you know? Um, and when we approach our child in that way, we are going to know that every challenge and every, you know, unacceptable behavior or whatever they're doing in our home that we feel is, you know, not okay is a challenge and a struggle that they're going through. And we need to come alongside them instead of against them. So it's basically not me against my child when they do something unacceptable. It is me and my child together facing this challenge. I am alongside you and I know you're having a hard time. And I believe you're doing your best. I know you are. And if we really think about it, why wouldn't a child do their best, right? Like why wouldn't they? Right. They really are lacking the skills. They really do need our guidance. And I also want to just touch back on what you said before, because sometimes it could be overwhelming as a parent to hear that, you know, first we fully need to work on ourselves before, you know, providing it for our child. And the wonderful part about parenting is that we can parent our child and alongside them reparent ourselves. So when we see our child struggling and having a hard time, we know they're doing their best and we can remind ourselves right? We're also doing our best. So the same compassion we're giving to our child, we also want to give it to us. And that can be extremely challenging when we weren't raised in that way, right? When we have this harsh criticizing voice in our head. And so alongside our kids, we come and show up with compassion because we understand what it is to be human. We understand that we mess up and we're willing to have these conversations from a place of, I know you're doing your best and I'm here to help you. And I want to hear you and understand you so that we can problem solve this together. Absolutely. I love that. We're going to take a really quick break and come back and talk about how to break toxic multi-generational patterns. Hi, I'm Dr. Kim, the parentologist. As a wife, mom, therapist, and all around juggler like most of you, I lead a hectic life. And sometimes that means indulging in foods on the go that my stomach doesn't always agree with. Thankfully, Pepto-Bismol provides me fast and effective relief for all kinds of upset stomachs. Having a little too many guilty pleasures at a family barbecue or birthday celebration may lead to indigestion or heartburn, so I always keep Pepto on hand to get fast relief when I need it the most. Pepto-Bismol, use as directed and keep out of reach of children. Okay, so we've we've talked a lot about raising emotionally intelligent children. We've talked about how to create a healthy 
attachment bond with with a parent-child relationship when it comes to building up compassion and confidence uh, and validation. And now I want to dive a little bit into something else that I know that you're very passionate and and well-versed in when it comes to emotional challenges that are unaddressed in adulthood and what happens Mm. to us and what happens to us as a parent when that happens. So when we leave our emotional challenges unaddressed into adulthood, what does that look like? How does that affect our parent-child relationship with our own kids? Yeah, that's a really good question. So basically, a lot of us, I find, grew up in homes where we were invalidated. So a lot of us heard things like, oh, don't be silly. There's nothing to worry about. Don't worry. There's nothing to be sad about. And so we kind of have this belief that, you know, emotions come and they go. And they just, you know, we move on. We get distracted. We move on with things. And that's just not how emotions work in the body. Emotions is basically, you know, in the word, we have what it is. It's basically E and then motions, right? Energy and motion through our body. And those emotions, when they come into our body, they move through our body. And unless we have the space to actually process and express our emotions, they will stay in our body. This energy won't just leave the body. They stay in our body. And when we're young and we grow up with parents who invalidate us and we're, you know, being rushed to school and rushed into this. And then as teenagers, we have, you know, we have to get a job and we're fast paced living and all these emotions get built up and kind of piled up over the years from all these moments where nobody was there to give us empathy or to hear us out and to validate us. So all these emotions get piled up. And then we have you know, a parent where we become a parent and then our child starts to cry, right? And suddenly our entire body is so triggered and we can't hear them cry. And that is because it's awakening those past tears we had that we need to stuff into our body. And it's kind of like coming out and saying, hey, hear me out. I also have tears in my body that were suppressed. Hear me out, right? You're all you are. You're, there's also emotions in, in our body, and it's just too painful to go there. So we want to just shut it down, shut it down, shut down our child, shut down how we're feeling, and move on. Now these emotions don't just go away. And Dr. Kim, you're a doctor, and I, I wonder how you feel about this. But I've done a lot of literature around this: how emotions that get suppressed over the years can actually that that is what can sometimes create depression, right? It's like depressed emotions and all sorts of illnesses in the body because those emotions, the energy is in the body. Yes. So they don't just disappear, you know? No. And if anything, they manifest over time. In my practice and experience, uh, you know, sometimes I've even seen parents start resenting being a parent. They don't resent mm. their child. They love their child, but they resent you know, the emotionality of their children. And like you said, they, they start suppressing the emotionality in their children and they don't validate their emotions. And then the children child ends up with, let's say anxiety, depression, acting out in school, you know, failing grades, getting in fights, whatever the case may be. And then the parent comes to me, you know, being a child play therapist and the the parent comes to me saying, I don't know what's wrong with my child. They just don't know how to handle their emotions. And so most of my work is sometimes done helping the parent identify what you were just speaking about and then also helping them get to a place where they can uh, have that awareness that that's what's happening. And then in order to uh, almost allow their child uh, or give them permission rather 
to have those emotions. Um, and then it's, 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 it's working with both the parent and the child at the same time, because you can get wrapped up in that. And, uh, you know, we know that if things don't get resolved, then it does get passed on generation, you know, to generation and so forth. So, which brings me to my, my next point that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, and I'm going to quote you. This is something that I read on your website. It says, parents often neglect the underlying issues behind a child's emotional outbursts and alarming behaviors, instead trying to coerce the child into behaving. This leads to the child bottling up their emotions in a way that may burden them for the rest of their life. So powerful and so true. And, you know, I, I've heard parents say, if, if you keep crying, you have to go to your room, you know, mm-hmm. and almost these shameful threats of, uh, like you said, shutting down those, those emotions. So do you have any practical takeaways of what parents can do to validate their children's emotions more? Like, how, what does that actually look like in real life? You know, as a mom of four, I'm sure you do this all the time. And I have, you know, two children myself. And sometimes, like you said, life isn't perfect. We're not perfect. We you know, have to give ourselves grace and do the best we can because some days just it's not going to look like that. It's not going to happen. But on the good days, when we have those self check-ins and we're calm and we have that awareness, what does it look like to validate our children and validate their emotions? And how can we incorporate, incorporate that in our everyday lives? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think also before we you know, feel like, okay, my child needs validation. My child is allowed to cry. I invite every parent when they feel pain, when they feel sad to let their tears out, like really feel what that feels like to have a good cry. Like our body was designed, right? To actually let out tears when there are no words to describe our emotional experience. And the more we allow our body to express itself in the way it needs to, right? Crying is not hurting anybody around. It's safe behavior. There's nothing wrong with it. If we've never had a good cry, it can be very hard to understand. What am I providing my child with already? Like, you know, enough, stop crying already. But if we've had a good cry, and sometimes it could be very hard to cry, like, For years, I used to feel pain and the need to cry, but I would feel it in my throat, like that ball of pain in that my throat. And I couldn't let those tears out. And so I literally had to like put on music that was extremely like mellow and that would like bring out my tears or watch a really sad movie for me to cry. Like I had to do things to like really bring my body to a state of crying because it was so shut down in my childhood. And the more I leaned into that, I realized, wow, like, this is what I need to give my child. Like, it actually feels good. And to validate our own self when we feel overwhelmed as a mother, right? So if I'm feeling overwhelmed when my child's crying, to talk to myself and say, oh, yeah, Serena, like, this is hard. It makes sense, right? There's loud noise. Your child's crying. You're exhausted. This makes sense. It's really hard. I understand you. Validate yourself and validate your child also and begin to understand how that makes us feel. It almost pushes us like, I want to be that person for my child. I want them to feel the benefits of this because I understand the benefits of it and to step into that and provide that to our child. So back to your, I don't know if that answered your question. Did that answer your question? Yeah, no. I mean, that's, I mean, I just love this conversation because it's just, it's, it's so uh, fluid because there's so many things that we could talk about um, to help parents, you know, come to, you know, how to support their children emotionally, um, how to create that parent child attachment. 
to have a healthy relationship because if the if the child doesn't have a secure attachment with the parent, then they're probably not going to come to them when they have a problem. So keeping those lines of communication open, keeping that attachment um you know, secure and, you know, letting the child feel safe and honored and their emotions honored, just them as a person honored and saying, you know, cause I hear sometimes parents will say, well, you're a child, so you don't really have a voice. You know, I'm the parent. So you just kind of get told what to do. And when sh- children hear those messages, they shut down. And then if there is a problem at school or if they ha- are having some emotionality, they're not going to come to their parent. They may go to a peer or a teacher or someone else. And as parents, I always try and, you know, teach parents or help parents understand to keep those lines of communication open and let the child know that they're safe to come to them, even if it's something they might get in trouble for, they might, you know, um, that wasn't a good choice that they made, but to still come to them and to feel safe enough to come to them with, with any problem that they have. And then to say, you know what, what you did wasn't right. That was, that was a pretty poor choice, but I was in your shoes once and I understand what you were going through. I've had those kind of days too. I completely understand where you're coming from and let's work through this together because no matter what, I support you. It takes time to say something like that and it takes intentionality. And I think a lot of times as parents, like you said, we're on the go, go, go. And sometimes we're so stressed out, we can't handle our, our child's stress too. So we shut it down because we can't handle it. We're not open to it. But if we take that moment and give them just that alone, that will keep those communication lines open. That will keep the child feeling safe and, and coming to that parent over and over again, especially as they grow up and get into those teen years. W- would you agree in, in, in the work that you've done? Yeah, you know, I think something that's really important for all parents to understand, if I can add here, is when our kids come to us crying because they lost their little Lego piece, it can be so easy for us as parents to be like, okay, it's just a Lego piece. You know, if they come to us crying that their friends don't want to play with them, it's like, okay, you know, little kids playing with the ball, it's fine. But when we understand as parents, it's not about the Lego piece. It's not about their friend. It's not about all those items that they're sad about and have, you know, social interactions over. It's about the emotions behind them. So if let's say, I'm going to give you an example with a lost Lego. If a child comes to me with a lost Lego, right now, if I show up for them, I'm showing them, this is how I am going to show up for you when you lose something. And later on, they might come to us when they lose their job, when their partner no longer wants to be with them anymore, right? They lose out on a relationship. They, this is, it's not about the Lego. It's about the feeling of loss right? Having a loss. And so teaching children, how do we go through loss? And what an opportunity it is in childhood to have these experiences over small things like Legos before we go on to those really bigger things when they're older and they're teens and they lost, you know, a computer, uh, 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 bigger items and bigger things, right? So I think it's important for parents to understand that when we're having these interactions, when we're holding space for emotions, not to get so stuck on the the fact that it's such small things and little things and, oh, my child is, you know, uh, crying because they also want a birthday gift. But like, you know what, your child might want to share with you one day that they wish they had, you know, once they're married, they wish they had something that their married friend had and they want to open up to you about it. But because we were never there for them when they were young and they shared that they wanted something someone else had, then they shut down that part. They know that now my mother doesn't really care about that, right? So it's not so much about those small things and more about 
the emotions behind it and we show our child, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here for your experience. It's not about the Lego. It's not about the birthday gift. It's not about, right? Those are all small things that are giving us the opportunity to experience and provide the tools and guide our children through. But it's not about all those things. So sometimes it's hard as parents, when, especially when they're young, right? Like they're crying over the color of their cup, you know? And it's like so easy to just be like, okay, whatever. It's not a big deal. I didn't care about that so much. But it's not about that. It's about does my parents care about my desires? Yeah. Wow. It's so powerful. And it's so true. And I think as a parent sometimes too, we get trapped into, you know, not wanting our kids to feel any type of pain. Uh, you know, mm. for mom, that's hard to see. It's hard to see your child hurt. It's hard to see your child in pain or feeling rejected or abandoned by a friend or, or something like that. And so because we hurt so much to see our, our kids like that, because we know they're in pain and we want to almost wrap it up in a, a Band-Aid and just kind of send it off. And we, we almost want to avoid it because it hurts so much. But sometimes we have to teach our kids to sit in the pain for a little bit. It's, it's part of a life skill they have to learn as they grow um, to be able to self-regulate and emotionally regulate, but to kind of sit in the mess a little bit and then to help them and support them to come out of it. But it's okay. It's okay to feel the pain a little bit. It's okay to feel the mess. It's okay to for things to get a little sticky at times. Um, that skill, as hard as it is to do as a parent, is necessary for kids to grow up to, and to be emotionally intelligent, like we talked about at the beginning, but then also to have those life skills to be a well-functioning adult and then eventually a parent themselves. So it's it's hard, but it's it's definitely something that needs to be done, I think, at times. So, um, okay, my last question is, um, we were talking, I kind of, you know, revved up for this. Um, how do we actually break those toxic and unhealthy multi-generational patterns? I mean, some patterns that could be from our grandparents that have, you know, passed down year after year. And it's so hard to break because that's what we know. But if we want to be that person to break that multi-generational cycle, especially if it's toxic, how do we go about doing that? So you're talking from a parent that wants to break those cycles. So they're aware of all the cycles. They want to break it. It takes a lot of boundaries. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and that is some hard work to set so boundaries, right? So let me give you an example. Somebody comes over, right? A family member. And for generations to generations, kids were told, you know, go give them a hug, go give them a kiss. That's how we should honor them, respect them and welcome them in our home. Right. Right. And here I am, this, you know, generation of me who actually I value how my child feels. I don't want them to override their discomfort. I want them to do things that they feel their body is comfortable doing. And I want to break that cycle because I don't think children should be forced into anything with their physical body that they don't feel comfortable. So here I am and people come over and we got to speak up. We have to speak up. And that could be very uncomfortable very awkward. Uh, maybe we'll have some family members misunderstand us. We have to be willing to, uh, to accept the fact that not everybody will understand our parenting approach. And that doesn't mean that what we're doing is wrong. Um, and to really step up for our child in that way and to share with our child, you know, in our family for generations, right? Everybody, kids had to give hugs and kisses and I am here as your mother and I feel that if you don't want to do that, you don't have to. And if somebody is forcing you, you could say no. 
And so then you might have some adults saying like, oh, your child is so rude. She's not teaching them to respect the elders. And here I am breaking the, the, the cycle that all humans are deserving of respect, not only the elderly, right? And that can be very hard for some family members. Yes, <laughs> so, very hard. Yeah. So I think a lot of boundary setting, protecting your family and also empowering your children to set their boundaries and for them to say no to things that they're not okay with. Oh, 100%. Such great advice. Um, I'm so glad you were on the show today because I feel like we are going, this conversation is going to help so many parents um, out there in in just, you know, everything we talked about. So thank you for just all of your wisdom and all of your advice. Um, I know you have a complimentary mini course and you also have a parenting masterclass. Um, Will you share with everyone where they can find you and a little bit more about the classes so maybe they can sign up? Yeah, thank you, Dr. Kim, for your kind words. And the feeling is mutual, sharing the conversation with you. So I have a website. Everybody can find me there at sternasuisa.com. On my website, we are a community of parents. We meet up once a month where I we have like Q&A sessions. Everybody's asking questions. We answer them. It's very interesting. Then I also um, put up a new course every single month on my website. I make it short to the point, different topics. Um, right now, I think I have about 10 courses up on my website, different topics. So I have like one on emotions and tantrums, one on boundary setting and various um, you know, sibling rivalry, which is a huge one. And every month I put up new content. I also have, like you mentioned, a free course on sharing if any parent wants more about that. And I share almost daily on Instagram uh, little nuggets here and there. Oh, I love it. Thank you. I love following you. And I'm, I just, I'm, I, I love gleaning from, from all of your experience and what you've said today. And I hope others out there are um, feeling the same way. So thank you again for being on the podcast today. And uh, everyone, I encourage you to go um, find her on the website and on her socials. Thank you, Dr. Kim. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.